Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Fenced In. You are here today as usual with myself and Chris. I'm Ben for those of you that don't know me and Chris Mollard is with me today. We are both uh, GB International Fencers, close friends and coach and student. Chris say hello. Hello, hello. How's everyone doing today? How are things in lockdown for you, Chris? Yeah, very well. The sun is shining. None of that horrid rain we had last week. Uh, And, you know, couldn't really ask for much more. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. And just so the the listeners are aware, this podcast was the the brainchild Chris brought to me and he said, look, let's see if we can do a podcast around training whilst in lockdown. And that's kind of the whole idea behind the name. And this week's topic is strength conditioning. I'm sure Chris uh, has... He's brought his notes with him and he's got lots of ideas on how he's been training in uh, in lockdown as have I. And this will be hopefully a, a nice addition to last week, which was flexibility, mobility and stability. And looking at that as the kind of foundations of strength and conditioning at a at a young age. And then as as you develop as an athlete, once you've got that kind of rock solid core, then you can start to develop into more defined and specific ways of doing um, SSC. Chris. SNC, uh, what are those? What's that little acronym? What's those words mean? I'm going to go for the obvious answer, which is strength and conditioning. There you go. Nice, nice, nice. And what is, what is it to you? To me, in layman's terms, it's all the gym work that you do around fencing, which, frankly, I don't love. Uh, <laughs> some people do. I don't. I think, if I, to be honest, if I didn't fence, I'd find it really hard to motivate myself to go to the gym. But so I really struggle with anything that's lots and lots of kind of low to mid weight repetitions. I'd much mm-hmm. rather do something really hard a few times than than go on and do the same stuff for mm. kind of sixty reps in each set. I find that really dull. But, Completely. Uh, I've probably jumped the gun a bit, but. Why is SNC important then? Well, as uh, Chris, as you require, I said, strength and conditioning is effectively, as I say, in layman terms, is all the physical training that goes around for most athletes, what, what their day-to-day craft is. So obviously for fencing, that is sparring, uh, is the main part of training. Um, and strength and conditioning is to not only support that, but obviously to try and make lots of gains in and around fencing. And so obviously the strength part is what you'd probably look as a more muscular aspect and, and then conditioning is more of the anaerobic and aerobic capacity one carries. And, and the two are intrinsically linked. It's really important for athletes to stay in good shape, not only to make those performance gains, but also to stay shy of injury. And also something I used to wonder about is how does a fencer get fitter and be able to go for longer without just fencing more? And obviously, if you can fence more, that's fine. But, you know, a training session only lasts for three hours and a competition potentially lasts all day, you know, kind of six, seven, eight hours. How does one prepare themselves to reach that point? And part of that answer is gym work, strength and conditioning, making things tougher for your body while it's fencing and preparing it for more more of those very unique exercises because fencing is a really weird sport in the way that <laughs> our bodies have to work. And, and that's how we push ourselves further and longer. Um, in fitness terms, for example, you know, going 5K runs is great, but doing interval training is better, you know, because that replicates kind of the periodization of a match and also kind of, matches and rounds in between so that's just an example of why that's important specifically to fencing yeah completely Uh, and and i think that 
what people have to be aware with strength and conditioning is, as I say, there are two key values there. It's not only the, the injury prevention, but it's also the performance gains. And I remember the first time I was making it through three days of World Cup fencing, obviously both the prelim days on the Friday, you know, the, the kind of finals day on Saturday for the individuals, and then a whole day of team matches. I remember my first ever full World Cup, as you could probably describe it, was brutal, absolutely brutal. Got to the end and you're punch drunk. But, you know, that was after doing years and years of SSC. So I, I really understand that also you can be fit for task purely based on repetition of task. And, you know, the more I've done of that, the more I've got used to the ability to hold myself for three consecutive days at World Cup level. But also at the same time, I don't think I would have been able to complete that entire weekend if I hadn't done a lot of the supporting stuff that I've done throughout my I, my years. And I've been very fortunate to have have been coached very well in, in, in strength and conditioning. And, and one of my coaches, Pavel, is a, is a fully qualified performance strength and conditioning coach. So that also really helps me. I think it's important to know that fences need to be looking at the right kind of aspect of strength and conditioning as well. We are a lower limb based sport. So a lot of the power and strength and drive comes from our lower limbs. And actually, even though we have our sword arm that takes probably quite a huge amount of punishment, again, it's not necessarily that you want to be hugely strong. You don't want like a a kind of weightlifter, a big bodybuilder on your upper body because you lose range, flexibility, things that we spoke about last time. But at the same time, you want stability and you want good core strength in those groups and you want the ability to have quick reactive speed actions rather than massive, powerful, strong actions, because a lot of the driving force should actually come from the lower limbs. That's really good to know and feeds nicely into my next point, which is going to be around what muscles and what muscle groups are important for fencing, because that's not necessarily readily available. So feel free to jump in, but I'm going to list the the ones that I try and work on. I find important. Sure. Uh, and I, I'm, let's start with the lower body, like you were just talking about. So the calves, very important. The glutes, hamstrings, quads, uh, all very important. The number of times you hear people talk about having a hamstring tear or, you know, an injury in fencing is actually quite common. Mm. And then as you go up, core work is very important as well. So by that, I mean, you know, on the sides, your posterior chain is something that you mentioned last time as well, which all yep. sort of feeds into, into this as well, which is really important. And abs and other core work as well as the shoulders and the triceps. Yeah. And the reasons for those triceps, if I understand it right, are to do with the extension of the arm. Mm-hmm. The shoulders are kind of about how much you can resist kind of beats and blade work and, and kind of work on that. I mean, forearm actually as well. I haven't, I haven't mentioned the forearm and the fingers. Yeah, sure. And, you know, kind of your core work is about how upright you can be. And your leg is obviously about the power that you can generate while being mobile. And all of this obviously kind of feeds into kind of going for longer. So, you know, really kind of fencing as long as you need to and going up and down the strip so that really we can punish Ben uh, when he thinks he's just going to beat us. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, th- I think that, you know, that's a strong list. And you're right. You know, I think one of the things that people have to realize is that fencing is a a very agile sport and one of the things that I think really helped me with the agility side of things with plyometrics people would think the idea of strength and conditioning is huge power-based movements and it is to a certain extent but also there are many other things that go into that plyometrics are very reactive and rebound based work usually involving lots of jumping and springiness and that kind of hardens the tendons to make them effectively like an even stronger elastic band and you know the way we move on the piece you've only got to look at the back leg and the amount of load that the Achilles tendon takes on on the back leg is huge and so to be able to have that as hard as possible to get the reactive uh, strength and power through the uh, the back leg is, is very important and so you know for a long time on the world-class program we were doing a lot of reaction based jumping springiness work which is referred to as plyometrics which was hugely important and I think that 
certainly when we talk about that, that's a more of a performance gain. But one of the things I also found was that before I was doing that, I had a lot of issues with my back tendon, my back Achilles tendon, which was taking a huge amount of punishment. So I had to do a lot of isometric holds and eccentric contractions, which is effectively loading that tendon with weight as much as it can bear to, again, harden the, the kind of tendon matrix to make it stronger and fitter for purpose. And, and that really helped me divert myself away from what could have been quite a major injury. And those kind of things, are, again, this is how both strength and conditioning has performance benefits, but it also has the ability to stop one from getting injured. And you, you spoke about the idea of, of calf and stuff like that. And absolutely, it, it's really important. And for me, the Achilles tendon, you know, you need to use that as much as possible, certainly on that change of direction. Uh, and then you've got hamstring things. I've had hamstring injuries as well on my front leg. You know, when you lunge and you throw yourself into this huge, huge lunge, your front hamstrings having to catch that on, on your lead leg. And as such, when it's taking that impact, that can cause damage. And actually, like I mentioned before, that that tendon that connected the top of my hamstring into what is my pelvis and my bum, that took a huge amount of loading. And so, again, I had to do a lot of hamstring based work in order to, to strengthen that up to take that load. But then I went above and beyond and actually went to think, well, actually, what I want to do is look at the performance benefits of this. And so I looked at doing a lot more explosive based work. So like we spoke about with posterior chain, working with the hamstring to make sure the glutes were really firing as well, as well as getting a big quad response. So I was doing a lot of like Olympic lifts, as we know, so kind of clean and jerks and snatches and things like that. And not only did it stop me from diverting myself away from injury, but it also had a massive power output and I became a lot more powerful across the piece. And these are kind of things that people have to understand, which is the building blocks usually stop injury prevention. And then to go above and beyond and really do the gains is where SSC really kind of comes into its own. Chris, have you ever experienced any injuries through fencing that you kind of had to manage through through strength and conditioning? There is one that really comes to mind. Two years ago, for quite a long time, I used to get this lower back pain intermittently. It wasn't muscular. It was definitely spinal or nervous. After going to the physio, it took long time to determine what it was and I actually don't really remember what the answer what the what that was but the solution was to strengthen my glutes my glutes weren't strong enough and as a result it was pulling on something else which meant that I was having this back pain it's mentally sometimes it would happen as part of my warm down after fencing sometimes it would just happen while sitting in a chair in the office um, mm -hmm. and it would absolutely just lock me I wouldn't be able to move I was in so much pain not not in pain when it actually came up but if I moved then it was a really sharp it's like someone had stuck a knife in my in my lower back it was awful and I'm guessing that's because on probably on the lunge your lower back was taking over rather than your glutes firing and being strong enough to kind of be stable in that lunge right yeah I think that makes sense and so as a result I had you know that's when I started doing effectively squats and single leg squats and work to really strengthen that and the surrounding areas. What what I've found in the past is when you start strengthening a certain area, then inevitably what happens is the other areas around it become weaker. Mm. So you've got to make sure you work on those areas as well. And what's really hard about fencing is it's so asymmetrical. Sometimes you're working the same muscles on different sides. Sometimes you're working absolutely different muscles on mm -hmm. separate sides of your body. And that can sometimes make it really hard to know what to focus on. But again, as part of S&C, what we should be doing is bringing that balance and that weight balance and strength balance to mm, both mm. sides of the body, which is why exercises that make both sides of your body work are really effective. And something like swimming is great as well, because it's really hard to favor one side of your body mm. inadvertently, which, you know, is quite easy to do if you are working on one side 
and then the other side because you can take it easier yeah completely uh, and you're right this idea of making sure we balance ourselves out is really important because actually having imbalances are what causes the injury and, and I think for most fences what they need to understand is that we go very fast over a short period of time for kind of short bursts and this means that we want kind of repeat based strength and, and, and power and so you tend to find that with a lot of the, the weightlifting based actions it's mainly trying to do low repetitions at high weight. So you're looking to promote strength and power rather than the kind of slightly lower weights and kind of maximal reps to fatigue. You know, you're kind of working different energy resources there. So can you give us some examples of what your strength program, your S&C program looks like, you know, kind of during the season? You have to give us everything, but how many times a week will you do S&C and what do you focus on? And maybe just a couple of examples of some exercises. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, at the moment in time, and, and like Chris, you pointed out a few episodes ago, quite rightly, is that this kind of time right now almost puts us in pre-season. We don't know when competition is going to be. They're a long way away. So it's almost I've gone from being in the middle of a season where I'm really focusing on quality S&C with low rep range, very high weights and a short session, mainly just for kind of nerve, nervous system stimulation. But to go to the complete opposite side of the scale now, where it's like, actually, we can do the volume based stuff. So the reps are higher. Things are our weights are slightly lower and we are kind of doing things to get the volume in there. So you know, at the moment in time, whilst in lockdown, I don't have access to a, a gym in the same way that we do at the National Training Centre. And probably the same for you, Chris, you know, you don't have the luxury of being around your, your local gyms or even the National Centre when we're all there together. And so, you know, for me right now, I am finding that I'm doing, I'm still able to do some weightlifting because very luckily where I am, there are some small weights available. But again, it's kind of challenging myself for higher rep range, higher set range as well to really get the, the volume. So a real good base level of strength there. And some people could almost refer to that as hypertrophy based training, where you're trying to get literally muscle volume there. And then slowly you would refine that over the course of the season. Whereas you got closer to the start of, of the season, you're kind of, it's a lot lower rep and set range, much higher weight output. But right now we're, for me, one of the biggest things that I'm focusing on is actually getting some aerobic volume in there, actually, as an anaerobic sport, which is kind of the idea that we have to stop and go maximally very quickly. So, you know, kind of two or three seconds of 100% effort followed by potentially 10 seconds recovery is usually what fencing is. That becomes quite an anaerobic based sport. Whereas at the moment in time, we have to realize that we do need a good aerobic base. And so right now with the volume based stuff, we can be doing that. So like everybody seems to be doing on Instagram because it's a bit of a challenge, but it's quite enjoyable is to run the 5Ks. So that is a really good distance where it's obviously putting you into the aerobic capacity, but at the same time, you are really pushing yourself there. And in fact, I'm trying to get so much volume in right now that I'm, I'm running 10K uh, splits as well. So there, there's a lot of aerobic capacity that's going on there to kind of give me that volume that I need, as well as I'm weightlifting twice a week, running three times a week. I'm actually going to start adding some plyometrics in shortly and in time, maybe some sprint based work as well. But I think people have to realize that's quite different from middle of the season based stuff where again you're potentially doing maybe only one big heavy session a week potentially maybe two um, and the sessions are, are much much shorter and as I say a lot of this is lower limb stuff so it's you're looking at kind of squats deadlifts even like hip extension based stuff um, so hip thrusts with heavy weight obviously clean and jerk and snatches things like that power based exercises 
but actually I am doing a little bit of a body volume as well. So bench press, single arm rows, those kind of stuff. But I think we need to realize that the upper back is really important as well. And so doing a lot of rows as well and reverse flies to get that upper back nice and strong. So there's quite a difference there. Chris, what are you doing at the moment? What are you, what are you finding is working for you? Some of the same stuff, actually. I, I want to push myself and go for 10K at some point, but I haven't reached that distance yet. I do 5Ks a few times a week. My schedule is five or six days a week. Every day I'll do some cardio, and that's usually in the form of a 5K or time on the exercise bikes. I'm fortunate enough to have one of those here. And again, that will be probably about 10K in 20 minutes mm. um, if I'm just doing kind of flat same speed. But sometimes there's an interval mode on it as well. So I'll do that and I'll really push myself and that might get to kind of 12K. Interestingly, I do cover more distance that way, you know, kind of going higher and lower than the same flat gear. But on the S&C front, I'm alternating my days between core and upper body mm-hmm. and kind of lower limbs. So I did my my lower leg work today. Again, I, I, I'm quite lucky in that I've had a kettlebell for a few years, 16K. Mm. So I'm finding that, that yeah, I'm finding that quite good. And talking about the explosive work. So, you know, I'll do a kind of squat jumps with my kettlebell. You know, I'll do, nice. set, I'll do 15 of those and a few sets of that. Single leg squats, you know, one side than the other. Regular squats as well. Again, all of this with my kettlebell and some calf raises just mm-hmm. to cover the ground quite well. And then kind of upper body is normally variations of kind of planks, press ups, like you said, rows as well. Quite good mm-hmm. upper body. And, you know, Russian twists with my kettlebells. The first few weeks of lockdown, I wasn't really using it very much. Mm-hmm. I was kind of continuing with those exercises, no weight and going for longer. Whereas now I'm trying to build up the strength a bit more and explosiveness mm. and, and really get those going. So it's interesting. I'm trying to change things up every couple of weeks. But I found that quite good because, again, it means that I get more time back. I can do do more more in my day that isn't kind of heavy training, but I work harder for doing less, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I get you. I get you. And I, and I know that, you know, people often question me and say, oh, you know, how, when is, is strength and conditioning best? And, and I would say when we're in the, in a normal, um, normal time, you know, when we're all at training and everything is as it should be, I tend to do a lot of my weightlifting stuff post fencing purely because I find that when I do weightlifting, you have a big nervous system change and the, that can often affect fencing because it is a very technical base sport we have to use you know very small intricate movements and, and that can you know when you've just blasted your nervous system for two hours in the gym that can really have an effect on fencing but equally i do believe there should be a good break between the fencing session and then the, the physical weightlifting session purely because you do want to you know restock those energy stores for doing that because again when you're when you're lifting maximally or close to maximally you know it requires a, a huge amount of energy load behind that and so it's important to make sure that you kind of get that break in the day before before you then go on to that session yeah definitely and it's quite interesting because as you touched on already normally you know what we'd be doing is you know lifting much heavier weight i squat 100 kilos with the bar i think yeah. and you know you put deadlifts in there as well which are also quite high and I'm, I'm pretty sure you squat and deadlift more than me possibly possibly <laughs> yeah <laughs> but as you said you know we don't have access to that now so you know i've seen some videos on instagram and and on twitter where people are getting creative but you've got to work stuff in other ways and that's where i think like something like a squat jump even if you don't have any weights or kettlebell that kind of explosive action you know kind of explosive out and then kind of controlled back mm. you know on on repetition will really work stuff you weren't necessarily aware of even if you've just been doing regular squats because suddenly there's there's much more to it it's much more dynamic 
I agree. And I think even if people don't have access to the gym or any physical equipment right now, you know, do body weight stuff. I actually recently on Instagram put out a core workout. Um, if anybody that follows me has probably seen and core is really important for any form of stabilization. But certainly when you are doing these big lifts in normal routine, having a good core to kind of really uh, support that lumbar spinal or the, the lower part of your back to make sure that you can keep your whole body stable in these lifts is important. But right now, any body weight stuff is great. You know, even if you're doing things like a uh, devil's chair where you're sitting with your back against the wall and, and you're really putting your quads through a burner here, anything where you're doing kind of more volume based stuff. So even just body weight squats is a really good thing. You can load up on press ups. You know, if you're anywhere, you can find a bar to be pulling yourself up against or anything like that to do some inverted rows. Anything is better than nothing. I think that's what people have to realize. And what's great is that you can work all this stuff into kind of one go. You know, if you're not feeling up to kind of putting together a session or a weekly program, whatever, you know, you can do a few times a week. You can do kind of a bit more of a circuit, which I've done at clubs in France, you know, where you set up a circuit where you've got a garden or got two markers just a few meters apart. You know, at one end, you do a few press ups, do some footwork to the other end, do some squats, do some footwork back, do a different exercise, you know, and you can kind of alternate what you're working on different parts of the body. And in 20 minutes, you can really work up a sweat and you can cover quite a lot of ground. If you don't want it to be footwork or something technical, you can just kind of shuttle run, you know, kind of jog or sprint back and forth between it. And again, that, that's a really good way of working all this stuff in. And like we said before, I, I really feel like it's not until you're really starting to struggle or work hard that your body really learns anything and it's the same with snc and and you know physical training it's not until kind of a point of failure or fatigue that, that you really start to make those big gains i don't think what do you think yeah no i, I completely agree i completely agree and, and you're right right now you know we can be doing these kind of things even if you haven't got any major weights to be using as you say you can do circuits as well where you're getting a big anaerobic hit because again it starts stop and you're going from one to the other very fast and, and working exceptionally hard that's great a body weight circuit of press-ups followed by body weight squats followed by burpees followed by you know split jumps whatever they're all great and they will all work you hard especially in this heat everyone's got access to for the most part parks where they can go in do some sprints that kind of stuff and you're already starting to develop your own small snc program what's really annoying is as great as all this stuff is and i love doing it the fitter you get <laughs> the longer to work to reach those points <laughs> oh yeah no, you're absolutely right you're absolutely right at the moment in time i'm uh, doing quite a lot of running i've kind of given myself a new challenge because mentally it's also really good for me as well and i'm trying to get my uh, my my 5k run at the moment sub 19 minutes and and it's that's really brutal a really really brutal at the moment i'm just sitting just above 19 minutes and to kind of push that down i'm really having to work so much harder i'm running these 5k's at the end i'm you know i'm, I'm nearly you nearly have to take me home in a body bag it's really difficult one of the kids at the club he he ran a seriously good 10k time in just over 41 minutes and of course it became a challenge i was like right okay you know so i very fortunately managed to run in sub 41 i got i managed to hit 10k at 40 but now my next goal is to run 10k in under 40 minutes it's unbelievably hard and it's horrific it's one of the the most horrible things i've ever done is to run 10k it means you have to be running each kilometer under four minutes which doing that for for one kilometer two kilometers is, is a bit dirty doing it for 10k I mean, when I hit sub 40, I'm never going to attempt it again because that'll be, you know, the kind of the badge of honor. But it, it's brutal. But you're right. As you get fitter, you have to push yourself harder to make these gains. I've just got to say, those are amazing times. You know, a, a sub 19 5K, I, 
it strikes me as really impressive and a sub 40 10k is amazing i hit sub 20 for 5k but i'm really competitive so when you sent me your time the other day which was quicker than mine i really wanted to go out and do the same but maybe i wonder if we can set ourselves kind of a challenge where we in sync go out and do our 5k's yeah, and then or what you do when is, we finish first. Yeah, that's it. Or you have an app where you end up, you know, synchronizing it like that, or or having a running community. But this is the great thing about this this situation is it forces people to find new ways to train, and it means that there are plenty of things out there that we can all use. These running apps are great. You can set up a whole community of friends and people that you're running with to challenge yourself. Uh, and I suppose the moment in time i've seen many people being inventive we try and do weightlifting and even if you can't get access to weights go on amazon and buy those horrible bands they're really great they're only a kind of pound a piece kind of thing wrap them around your ankles and, and start doing you know crab walks get down to quarter squat and do the lengthier garden and back and believe me your quads will be burning like you're getting the same sensation when you're fencing be creative with this get online see what people are doing on social media because this has meant there's a lot more information sharing people want to show what they're doing in lockdown and that's a really good thing absolutely bringing this back around to what it means for fencing in your personal experience you know the snc work that you've done how has that affected your fencing and what gains have you really been aware of or not been aware of and kind of only really seen in hindsight the boys laugh at me at training because i've been doing some front-based footwork where i've been going exceptionally fast with the footwork intervals but i've been doing with an altitude mask on that's been really, really good because it's obviously restricting the oxygen flow to my body and therefore increasing blood cell count, which means, you know, you have more oxygen carrying capability and therefore technically you just get fitter, right? But when we were out in Cairo and we would we had a team event and actually I suddenly found myself being able to just do more and more and more length on a piece against other athletes. And what it did was by just by having the ability to almost have physical patience to be able to just move up and down the piece, up and down the piece, and just keep going. The mistakes from the other athlete would happen. They were so exhausted at that point. They couldn't think straight. They would make, they would almost fall into an action. And, you know, if you're fresh and you're still able to move, you suddenly find that the, the kind of gifts arrive all by themselves. And a lot of the power-based work I've been doing, the plyometric-based work I've been doing, the springiness and change of direction, my ability to go from forward to back and back to forwards was great. And I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, a lot of the snatches and clean and jerk work that I've been doing to really fire up my kind of posterior chain has given me so much more power into my lunge and things like that because my glutes have just got so much more power behind them and for me that's really helped that's really impressive and I just have to jump in here and say Ben has for a long time been known as the fitest fencer on the circuit so (laughs) (laughs) well they're not my words I mean they're not just my words other people have you know always kind of remarked on it uh, I remember seeing, watching a match years ago. It was in Sheffield at National Champs between you and Reese Melia. Oh, yeah. You know, Reese is a great fencer and very fit. And I think it wasn't even close. You just came out ahead and you looked like you'd barely sweat. He was bent over double and was really having a hard time. But the fact that you're doing this stuff with an altitude mask is amazing. And I think must put your fitness into like superhero status. I've just always tried to emulate some of the best people that I've seen on the circuit. I've been very fortunate to have been surrounded by other very fit athletes. But Chris, I know for you personally, you spent a lot of time, probably the last two years, really developing your strength and conditioning. And how have you felt that it's kind of made adaptations to your game? The thing I've noticed is that I hit more. (laughs) Okay, nice. The only time I really become very aware of it is when I see myself on video. I can see kind of the changes in form to how I look. You know, I I sit lower, my footwork is more controlled, my lunges are more explosive than I hit. But importantly, I'm in the right place at the right time and I can make the most of opportunities. And Um, you keep your form probably better for longer, right? 
Yeah, exactly. So I don't kind of fall or crumble into stuff as much as I used to. But I, it just it gives me freedom to think. What's really hard I find in fencing is when you haven't got any headspace or an opportunity for, for any kind of creative thoughts or, mm. you know, when you need to make an instant decision. The sabreurs will probably be much better at that than foilists. But the fitter you are, the stronger you are, the longer you can go, the easier that is because actually the fencing becomes kind of second nature. And what happens is you can think about what you want to do and where you want to go and your body will kind of just take care of the rest. No, completely. And, and I think that, you know, you've summed it up beautifully there. And I think what you're also alluding to is the fact that strength and conditioning is multifaceted and you've done lots of different things in order to give you lots of different outcomes. And I think that people have to realise that strength and conditioning isn't all about just going in the gym and lifting big heavy weights. It is about doing speed agility as well. It is about going out there and putting a load of cones down and being able to change direction faster. It is about doing lots of jumping base stuff, get your plyo stuff in there as well. And it is about kind of your, your cardio, trying to challenge yourself to not only get the base level of aerobic capacity, but again, really refine that with anaerobic based stuff. So it's, it's all encompassing. And, and not only can it give you injury prevention, but it can also, you know, as Chris has quite rightly said, keep your form in better shape for longer, being able to go longer in the day, but also, as I found, give me more power output on my lunge or even on my recovery or just the ability to go for longer until somebody falls into the trap that I want them to go into. Chris, what do you find is something that, because you're obviously, and I'm sure you've mentioned this before, you're a vegan. How do you support your your physical training with your diet? That's a good question, because diet plays a big part of these things. And I've heard people say in the past, you know, I spent loads of time in the gym and I was doing all this work, but I was just eating burgers and chips every day. So I didn't see any <laughs> result. So, you know, I, I find obviously as, as a vegan, everything I eat is plant-based. So I eat lots of grains before exercise, more about the carbs that you eat. And afterwards is about supplementing with protein. I need to eat more protein, but the, the proteins that I eat that are found in plants are, you know, of high quality, but I still need to eat quite a lot of volume, get what I need. But I think the principles are the same, whether or not you're a meat eater or not. I often see you because what happens normally is you do your day of training and then you come down to Saxon on Thursday night and that's where I get my lesson from you. And like the lunchbox you bring with you is quite big and it's full of sandwiches. It's still full of sandwiches, but you've really eaten kind of half of it. I was quite amazed to see early on how carb based it was. And, you know, I asked you about it and you said, well, I burn a lot of carbs. And that's kind of what you do. You know, when you're when you're working hard, when you're exercising, it's carbs that are being burnt, you know, sugar for a quick boost. And then it's protein to the muscle and, and helps you recover with carbs as well. Yeah, completely. And, you know, I think you're right. We burn a lot of carbs. Fencing is about 500 calories an hour, uh, which is actually quite a lot. But I think people kind of think, well, how, how do we burn so many in an hour? Well, don't forget the amount of kit we're wearing um, and we're sweating a lot. So hydration is key. Uh, most people tend to fatigue because they're not getting the hydration right. And and for me, one of the things that uh, I, I do is I, I take electrolyte powder. So as a quick kind of bit of information, you have isotonic drinks and you have hypertonic drinks isotronic drinks have all of the minerals in that you need to replace the from what you lose through sweat basically but isotonic means it's also got a bit of sugar in it as well to give you a bit of a kick hypertonic is exactly the same as isotonic but without the sugar so it just has a mineral replacement and they're really important to keep your your hydration levels right but people think they just have to drink those by themselves but they shouldn't you should be drinking two parts water to one part of that when you're at training and that in itself the hydration levels really can help you make you feel fresh but also that as you say that little bit of sugar boost that i have during the session really helps and then usually after the session i have a protein shake which is usually two parts carbohydrate to one part protein we're not weightlifters here we don't need 
the same amount of protein that, say, a weightlifter would need. We need to replenish the carbs and then the protein as well. But don't forget, protein is obviously synthesized and helped by having a carbohydrate store as well. So you're right. I spend long, long hours training and therefore a lot of it is carbohydrate based. But having said that, obviously, you know, I, I'm in, in lockdown with, with my girlfriend, her flatmates, and one of them is vegan. So we've been kind of changing up the cooking. And actually, Chris, you would be mightily impressed by the amount of uh, different variety meals I've been having because I I'm quite a strong meat eater and I, and I really like my meat. But we had a bean burger today, a bean burger. This this patty was made of bean. It was amazing. I loved it. It's so good. Joe, one of my favorite things that we discovered a few months before lockdown was the Linda McCartney range, but specifically the vegan pulled pork burgers. Oh, oh yeah. Man. They're so good. Yeah. And They're what is so it? A lot of them are made from jackfruit, the pulled pork stuff, right? And and it, that texture of that stuff is perfect replica for for what is essentially pulled pork this jackfruit's great yeah absolutely have you ever seen a jackfruit no no they weird it's looking. enormous it's enormous it is quite weird it's kind of spiky all over you'd never look at it and go mm. but it, <laughs> you know it's like it's in diameter it's bigger than our heads wow that's a, it, that's impressive it's massive I, I saw a piece at um the local kind of greengrocers once i went oh great look jackfruit how exciting i took it home so what the hell do i do with this <laughs> <laughs> got a slice and dice here and put it in those uh, those uh, tacos in fact actually we uh, when i was in um unfortunately when the competition was cancelled when we were out in la we went exploring and we found this amazing vegan restaurant it was like a mexican themed vegan restaurant i think it was called uh, sugar taco and it was so good we went in and i think i had a, a pulled pork jackfruit taco and it was absolutely fantastic the whole menu just looked absolutely sensational and you know people obviously misunderstand i think veganism and have to understand that there is a lot of creativity that goes into this to make sure a the food is really tasty and really enjoyable but also you get the same nutrition value it just requires probably a bit more forward thinking but like you said with the studying you've done on it you know there is potential for less inflammation in the body all that kind of stuff because you watch that documentary right Game changes on that. Game changes. I'm still yet to watch it. It looks great. Uh, you should you should watch it. You know the possibilities that we have now are really impressive. Actually, the number of alternatives to to meat. If if somebody wants to stop eating meat, you've got all the different types of milk. Oat is my favourite. One of my favourite sources of carbs and protein is actually peanut butter. It's like a peanut butter bagel. You know, especially kind of oh, before yeah. training or something, or really get me going. That and a coffee. Um. <laughs> nice. Oh yeah, caffeine. It's an important one. Just to let's yeah. say, just a quick interruption. I drink more coffee than most people would ever understand. I, I, I really do smash that stuff. Probably too much. <laughs> oh, do you know what I heard yesterday? This isn't to do with caffeine, but somebody said, I think, I don't know how long ago it was. It must have been kind of 50 years ago-ish, possibly longer. When the first time an Italian surgeon came over to the UK and cut oh. into somebody and there was white fat. And he was like, what's this white fat? I've never seen it before. In okay. Italy, everybody has yellow fat because of the number of oils and stuff that they they take ah, in interesting uh, you know oil pasta etc etc so kind of apparently that i don't know if it's rubbish or not but <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if it had an effect on kind of you know the color of your cells and kind of yeah what... you're right i might be you might cut me in half and i'd be very very dark inside with the, the amount of yeah. black coffee that i drink but it certainly helps me in fencing and, and you know this is a actually caffeine is a great thing before physical training and and fencing training it can really help make the the focus very stimulated and it's something that i i certainly use yeah, definitely. Somebody once told me that training when you're hungry is a good thing. So like S&C training, for example, what what are your thoughts on that? I don't know well, anything about it. So Yeah, so there's been a lot of stuff about intermittent fasting, which 
does have a lot of physiological benefits. It raises hormone level and it, it helps you start working off fat reserves quicker. Having said that, for elite athletes that train on a regular basis, from what I've been led to believe, it's not particularly good. So for those people that do a lot of recreational gym work, yes, it's great to do some fasting in the, in the morning and do your physical training. It spikes your hormone levels, which is great. It uses your, your fat storage reserves and actually it can have some huge performance and metabolic changes. But for elite athletes, we have been told that it's probably not advisable by literally the amount we train. And certainly for elite athletes, they're usually doing two or three sessions a day. I think that takes us quite nicely onto our, our, our question section now. And we've been very fortunate this week to receive two very good questions. So we have a, a question that came in from Liam Harrington, who actually sent in a great question uh, a few few episodes ago. Liam's a big fan and he's the former president of BAF. And so his question was, uh, how do you think the strength and conditioning has changed over the years? Is there more emphasis on it than there used to be? Or has our approach changed according to what's been found and more effective for fencing? It's a, it's a great question. Chris, what's your take on it? I don't feel like I've been fencing or practicing SNC for long enough to really know about this. I think that there has been a development over strength and conditioning over the last few years. Certainly what I've, I have seen, this is based on, on no scientific finding. This is just from my own, what I've seen. I think there's a lot more has been going into warm-ups these days. So a lot of people are seeing that, and we have to be careful using the word activation, but I think for, for a lot of athletes, they will understand that. I think for warm-ups, it become way more dynamic. It's not just going for a jog up down the piece and doing a few static stretches. There's a lot more dynamic stretching. There's a lot more firing up of not only different muscle groups, but also the nervous system as well there's almost more reactional kind of games that are going into warm-ups as well to stimulate the nervous system uh, and the reaction-based movements of fences there's a lot more has gone into speed agility work but speed agility work combined with like almost decision making as well and i think that the idea of big lifting so like olympic lifts such as clean and jerks and uh, snatches and things like that have become way more prevalent i think we didn't see as many fences many years ago doing quite as much olympic lifting as we see now so i definitely think it has changed and i think that's because the demands on an athlete are more physical certainly i can speak only from what i see in men's foil but the fights are longer and they're more dynamic um, the phrases are longer and certainly the actions are more powerful if you look at the physiological changes that have happened to, to the athletes over years you've seen very tall athletes in some eras but now you have smaller athletes that are equally as powerful and as strong as some of the, the biggest athletes yeah and what's interesting about that is it definitely sounds as though kind of generic fitness and decision making and coordination were favoured in the past. And what happens, I imagine, is all it takes is for a few people, even just one person to kind of do other stuff, do more specific work and be successful with it for everybody to want to catch up. And that certainly happened in like Formula One, for example. You know, when Schumacher came along, all anybody says about Michael Schumacher is that he was so much fitter, he was so much stronger, he was he could just go for so much longer than anybody else. And he really raised the game um, in, in many elements of Formula One driver. But in those specific kind of fitness, strength and conditioning, physical elements, he was a game changer. Yeah, completely. And it raises, you know, if you're the fitter you are, the more focus you have. And you've only got to look at the French team at World Cups now. They bring their physical trainer with them who's doing activation based stuff. He's got them doing resistance based sprint work against these big elastic bands as part of their activation, as part of their warm up. And he's, you know, you've only got to look at the Italian team. They also bring their physical trainer with them. You know, when you watch some of the Italians, they're doing short, sharp sprints on the piste as well as having to catch tennis balls as well. So you've got that coordinate based reactivity in there as well. This is vastly different from what I saw a few years back. And so it is definitely developing not only from the actual 
the bare bones of the the strength and conditioning, but even from everything else that kind of supports the 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 physiology of the athletes. So I think it's a great question, and I think the athletes have developed over time, and I think so has strength and conditioning, and, and it's it's a pro. We actually have another question from from a fencing parent, uh, Mr. James Joy. Mr. James Joy's uh, son is a fencer who is also called James Joy. And James is a wonderful events uh, organiser and planner. He's been very, very good in helping Fencers Club London run some of their Opens. In fact, not some, all of their Opens. And he's been instrumental in the success of those. His question is, how can a parent, partner or friend keep a fencer motivated and active when they seem to have completely lost interest? There must have been times where you both thought of packing it in and how do you come back from the edge? Chris, what, what, what are your kind of thoughts on, on motivation and, and how to keep yourself, let alone anybody else, motivated? I think that's a really, really good question and one that's really hard to answer. I mean, his question is actually kind of two questions. One is about how you do it yourself. I've definitely had moments where I've kind of been fed up with fencing and kind of had enough and gone, oh, do you know, how, how long am I willing to keep doing this? But sometimes just a bit of a break is enough to to bring me back around. And I know that someone down at our club at, at Saxon, who used to be on the gym and is now uh, you know, quite a well-renowned coach, had that as well. And he told me that he used to go through periods of time in his fencing career, you know, when he was practically training full time, where he'd just throw his kit into a corner for a few weeks until he had the itch back. And then... Mm keep going because you know our game is is mental i think in a big part of it and the other part of the question about you know keeping a fencer motivated and active when they seem to lost interest that i think is a really hard one and i think part of the answer is leaving them a clear path to fence so that they don't feel too guilty about kind of taking time or money or anything you know especially family time as a husband and father i you know i've had times in the past where i felt guilty not because anybody's made me feel guilty but because you do because you know, you feel a bit torn, you want to be at home, you want to be, you know, with your child and, and your wife. So this is something actually I, I discussed with my wife and she's lucky enough to to have her career be her passion, which is fantastic. But, you know, if their passion seems to have gone, then it might be best to just leave it because you can't reignite somebody's spark for them necessarily. But there are also, there are lots of examples of fencers who step away from the sport and come back better and stronger and more motivated, I think, yeah. down the line. What, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I understand completely what you're saying. I, I think ultimately you've got to have the love of the game. You know, if you're really passionate and love what you do and you're able to find the love again, that's the most important thing. There's been a really great book come out recently by John Southfield, who is the Sabre coach for the British national team. And it's called From Last to First. And I have read it and it's fantastic. It's great to not only read as a fencer, but as a fencing parent or anybody that's supporting a young fencer. As a fencing parent, it's a must read. And I think it talks about the idea of motivation versus commitment. And everyone starts out motivated at the beginning because they found something new and something they love and something they enjoy. But then commitment is actually the understanding of doing it even when you're not motivated, the motivation's gone. And the the passion has, has disappeared. And there's definitely been times when I've found myself really demotivated. Bad results, loss of funding, many things um, have meant that I felt demotivated. But I've been very fortunate enough to surround myself with people who have been very supportive through the good, the bad and the ugly. And I think it's important that young athletes understand the difference between motivation and commitment, understanding that when they feel motivated, it's really easy to train. And the idea of commitment is actually doing it and going through the training situations when actually it doesn't feel very nice and you don't want to be there. But ultimately, if it is that situation where that dry rot has kicked in for a long period of time, 
go back to the basics and remember why you fell in love with the sport and enjoy it. And I think that a lot of that comes from taking the pressure away. And by taking the pressure away, try to change the mindset towards fencing, which isn't as much competitive. It's more the enjoyment. Don't fight for counting hits. Go out there and fence for a certain amount of time. Do a fight with somebody that's three minutes long and just find your love and enjoyment of why you actually want to be on the piece again. I think that is hugely important. And if you're able to read this book, it really will help most fencing parents out there learn to guide their young athlete, but not become overbearing and not try and live their own dream through their child. I think that's really interesting. There are two things in there I want to elaborate on. One is that I heard an interview with the head coach of Sadossian in Scotland recently, who says oh, yeah. he said that he they they don't score in their training bouts necessarily, or they spend lots of time not scoring. They focus on the fencing and the actions and the hits, um, and actually the rest will come by itself. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that I might be going through this at some stage because my daughter is three and quite soon, and you bagsied her as a pupil from quite. Yeah, early she's going to be the next world champion. I'm telling you, mate, she's mine. <laughs> Ben says she has no choice. She's left-handed. Yeah, um, that's it. <laughs> but certainly, you know, I'd I'd be thrilled for her to fence, and we'd love for her to be sporty. And she is quite sporty already, so that bodes really well. But there will be a point, and whether or not it's sport or something else, where this comes up. And uh, you know, I have to read John's book because I admit I haven't yet. But you know, I I'm going to be on on the parent side of this, I'm sure, and trying to work through it with her or you know leaving her to work through it or however that goes is going to be uh, <laughs> quite to Ben as an observer <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think the thing is is find the love and I when it many times when I've found myself in a difficult situation from a motivational point of view I, I've just gone back to the basics of why I love this going and fencing with friends going and, and just fencing for the love of fencing again surrounding my pe- myself with people who enjoy the sport for what it is because it can all become too consuming sometimes at a high level if someone's being very competitive but ultimately if somebody as passionate as Chris said has gone out then actually it's far healthier than to walk away and find something else but again it's no difference when the passion and the fire has completely gone versus when the motivation isn't there anymore but actually staying committed to the to the cause and seeing the bigger picture and trying to find the enjoyment again is is, is the most important thing so wonderful question uh one wonderful question there and I think that kind of brings us quite nicely to the end of, of this episode, Chris, right? Yeah, that's it. So next time we're going to be talking about recovery and periodization. We've had so much positive press, positive reviews, great feedback from everybody in the community. But do write in with more questions, get in touch and subscribe, review on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, uh, and Transistor is our hosting platform that gives you an episode feed as well. They have a dedicated page for that as well. We're also on Twitter, Ben, aren't we? We are, we are. And you can send those uh, questions into uh, the Twitter page, which is at Fenced In Podcast. For those of you that follow me on social media, you will see I post usually Monday or Tuesday of the following week after we've recorded this. The uh, link is also in my bio on Instagram. My surname is Pegs, so you'll be find me under Ben Pegs, and you can follow it all there. But please do get in contact please uh, review and subscribe and uh, we look forward to hearing your questions and answering more over the coming weeks but uh, stay tuned for recovery and periodization next week until then see you later guys Bye.